Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. And today, my guest is a business leader who first honed his mental performance skills on the baseball diamond. He was a all-conference player at Texas Christian University, TCU, before going on into his professional baseball career. Now, as president of Ali Beth Allman & Associates, he's helped lead the real estate firm to record sales that surpassed over two billion in 2018 that's two billion with a b as a resident of dallas he was recently named to one of the top 20 under 40 professionals he's a husband a father of two and was an athlete on one of the first teams i ever had the chance to work sports psychology with so i'm thrilled to bring into the podcast keith conlon keith thanks for joining us on the podcast thanks for having me brian i'm excited to be here yeah, man. You know, before joining the business world, obviously, as we mentioned, you were one of the top baseball players at TCU and then went on to have a successful professional career. Where does that competitive drive come from for you? You know, I think, you know, growing up, my dad grew up in Boston. So sports was a huge part of his life. And then being the middle of three boys, um, you know, we were always playing sports, being super competitive with each other. And just that's just something that sports was always part of my life. And I mean, even to this day, still super competitive with both my brothers. And, you know, that's just something that I feel like was ingrained in us in a young age. You know, and I know that we talk a lot about the ball stops bouncing, if to use a basketball analogy, right? The ball stops bouncing for, for, for everybody, right? Everyone's baseball career comes to an end at some point. Some, they make right. enough money playing Major League Baseball that they never have to work again, but most actually choose to because as a competitor, you always want to be doing something, otherwise you're dying, right? What are some of the lessons, Keith, that you learned as a baseball player that you feel like have served you well later in your pursuits now in the business world as one of the top executives in all of real estate? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And I, I talk about this a lot with our group and of our agents and our staff is just the failures in baseball, you know, at the time and going back to even college, like in working with you from that middle aspect, you know, failing, you know, in college, seven out of 10 times you were considered a good hitter or, you know, my senior year having my best year, I almost hit 400. So failing six out of 10 times or, you know, yes, you know, basically succeeding four out of 10 times was considered a phenomenal year. So getting into real estate and the ebbs and flows of it and, you know, not having a success one month, not getting too down and then having a great month, you know, just, it, I feel like baseball just taught me a lot of great life lessons on how to handle adversity and just take the good with the bad and understanding that failure is a part of life. And it's a part of, it was a part of baseball and it's a, and it's a part of the business world, but it's just how do you cope with it and, and deal with that on a day-to-day week to week. And in our business, we're looking 30, 60, 90 days out and, and taking what we call, you know, celebrating wins. And how do you make sure that you're not just going too far down the path when something bad happens where you're, as you would allude to spiraling out of control. And that's something that I still talk about in the green light, red light, and all those things. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going down a path here, you know, let's back it up. Let's not get too carried away. It's just kind of a bad week, a bad two weeks, or, and we'll, we'll turn this thing around. It's fascinating, man, that you just mentioned signal lights, because at the time that we're recording this, Matthew McConaughey, right, one of the probably most famous people on the planet, actor, um, he just came out with a book, a memoir called Green Lights. And it's fascinating to me that now here you are in, in real estate, Matthew McConaughey in entertainment, 
and you're both talking about the signal light analogy created by Ken Revis and his book Heads Up Baseball. Would you talk a little bit about what is the signal light analogy? How did you use it as a baseball player? And now how do you use it with real estate? Uh, you know, it's funny when you use it as a, with a baseball player, it, it's something now I'm 37 now. So if I had, I feel like if I had the same mental awareness now, even though working with you and coach Slossing, I feel like was on this train earlier than most college coaches, but buying into it, like, I feel like I bought into it, but now I feel like it's a, it's a part of my life. I feel like if I was as mentally aware, then physically I could have played in the big leagues mentally. I don't think I was ready for that. So looking at it now, you know, from a different angle for me, the red lights would come on when, you know, you have a bad at bat or it's like, man, I, I just can't hit. And it's like, no, he just made a good pitch or he just, he got you out on, you chased on, you know, as the hitter, you didn't get your pitch or you just barely missed that pitch. And so I feel like as I got older in my career, I was like, okay, that was just one bad at bat. That doesn't mean my swing is off. It just, it's baseball. It's just part of the game. And it was adjusting, you know, from game to game early in my career to, you know, at bat to bat or pitch to pitch. It's like, you know, correcting those things. And now as a very amateur golfer, it's kind of, you know, taking a while to kind of pick up on some things. And like you hit a bad shot and you're thinking, Oh my God, I'm terrible at golf. And it's like, no, you just didn't, you know, you didn't get your, the head through or whatever it is, whatever my cues are work. But now in real estate, you know, working with, we have 400 plus agents and a staff of 25 and, you know, there's a lot of agents who have a ton of success or they'll have a bad week or they'll, they'll fail on a listing appointment or a client will fire them. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to hear that self doubt and then kind of, or what I do is I pull up, you know, this is what I love about real estate and the correlation with baseball is their statistics. And I said, you're upset about this one client who you didn't get along with for whatever reason, but you're letting this one incident just change your complete mindset of a phenomenal year, a phenomenal six month stretch you had. And I was like, it's not a big deal. And it's just kind of like the same thing that, you know, you've always said, you know, you flush it and you move on to the next one. There's going to be, there's business for everyone. And it's now taking that, I feel like I'm kind of the coach a little bit from a mental side, just to kind of keep people positive. And we talk a lot about positive, you know, positivity in nature and, you know, just different aspects of things that they can carry along day to day. And we meet every Monday at 9 a.m. on these, they're now Zoom calls we always, we started every meeting with a win. So, you know, someone tell me something positive that happened and, and we go about it that way, but it's just so interesting to see how it's kind of come full circle in the business world and, you know, picking up on all these things that sports taught me. It just was, was I just not listening as I should have been as a 21, 22 year old uh, type of thing. Well, and now, and now it's trying to apply it into your golf game, right? And taking the things that you're sharing with, with right. people right. who you're coaching, you know, the people you're coaching in the, in the real estate right. business at Ali Beth Allman and applying those same principles that you now know you would go back and apply into your baseball game, or at least think we would, but put them into the golf game. And it's funny because I'm, I'm I just picked up golf. I got my first set of clubs in the last year and I got so into it. We bought a house on a golf course. I play as much as I possibly can play. And like, I don't do any of the stuff that I'm teaching. You know, and it's funny because right, I, get, right. I get pissed and throw clubs when I'm not playing and I get into red lights and it affects my next two shots or so because, you know, it's mm-hmm. one, it, you can teach it, but it's so hard to grasp and actually apply. 
And, you know, I think that's right. what, what makes it such a challenge in baseball is like, we think it, it's easy for me as a mental performance coach, say, Keith, control what you can control, man. Stay, stay in the present moment, play one play at a time, play one pitch at a time, but it's so hard to do. And I think that's, that's the challenge here is how do you do this on a consistent basis? So what are some things that you do, Keith, like as a part of your daily routine? I know in our, one of our conversations in preparation for this call, you said that when you were in college, you used to hate getting up early in the morning to work out. And now you get up uber early to work out. It's one of the favorite parts of your day, right? What are some of the things that you right. now, now do that you would say, these are parts of my process or my routine that help me be successful? Yeah. I mean, the main one is just with dealing with so many different people and personalities. And, you know, as you talked about at the beginning, married with two young kids and just having that time to kind of clear my head and that's giving up early and working out and just kind of alleviating the stress, but it's just getting in that morning routine where, you know, working out is basically how I set my day. So, you know, up at, you know, five o'clock in the gym by five fifteen, it's, it's done. I'm at home and then I can help my wife get the girls up, get them off to school. And then I'm on, on my way about my day. And then I'm not worrying about, I really need to get a workout in at some point. Um, and then, you know, when I get home from work, it's, you know, being a dad. So I'm still very much in a routine every single day and have a plan every single day. I look, you know, at my calendar and, you know, I think you've, you talk about this a lot, Brian, just you having that plan and kind of executing on it. And, you know, I look at my day and it's like, okay, if I need to be here at eight 30, then I'm going to leave at eight and I'm going to have breakfast and everything's just kind of thought out and it's not scramble modes. So I'm always prepared for whoever I'm meeting and I can give someone that attention as opposed to just always being on the go and playing catch up. But I just feel like that was, you know, something when I was at TCU, Coach Saucio said earlier, I know we'll never do early morning weights. And then we did it. And I remember leaving his office after my senior year was up and being like, I will never lift weights ever again in the morning. That's just brutal. And then sure enough, two years into my working career, I'm like missing workouts because I waited to the end of the day. It's like, all right, I'm getting back into this morning thing. And, you know, that's been 12 years of doing that. And I love it. So, you know, up this morning and uh, at the gym super early and ready to go. Yeah. I like to call that, I like to call that sweat before screens. Right. And even, even now teaching this for right. 42 years old, if I don't wake up and work out first, if I wake up and check my phone, if I get up and get in front of the computer, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of been able to avoid the TV. I don't really watch TV a ton, but if I get on the phone or get on the computer before I work out, a lot of times, probably more than 50%, it just derails me and I don't even get to work out in, right? So kind of having that self-awareness of knowing yourself and what you need. And, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges I see, Keith, with a lot of athletes who make the transition from being a professional athlete kind of into the business world and they struggle. It's like when their athletic career is over, there's like a part of them that dies and they almost are paralyzed and can't make that next move. But that, that wasn't you. you. You immediately kind of got going and you, you are now having you know, as much success as you ever had as an athlete in the business world. Talk about that transition and going back from when the pro career ended to now getting into business. What was that like for you? How did you succeed in that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think the first few months were kind of hard because I identified as Keith Conlon, the baseball player. And then, you know, and once you hadn't seen someone in a while, they're like, oh, you're still playing? And you're like, no, I'm, you know, I'm in real estate. And they're like, oh, what happened? And it's like, it just, you know, didn't work out for whatever reason. And, you know, so I think you can let that bother you in a sense that you're, you're, 
identity has kind of gone out the window. My whole thing was, okay, I know back in 08 or 09 when my career ended, you know, I'm not going to be a professional baseball player. Here's my next move. And I realized real quick, if I work hard and apply the same time and effort that I put into the weight room and to extra hitting and outfield drills that I could be highly successful. And I knew just from my time as a division one athlete in my short time as a professional minor league baseball player that I could outwork anyone. And, and that's kind of just the same mindset I took to it. And I saw instant success. And then it was kind of, I was in the right company that I thought was a good fit for me long-term the owner of the company, Allie Beth Allman, is, is the CEO still. And, you know, I just got to know her. She was a TCU grad. She's on the board of TCU. So we had these weird connections where we would talk a lot and I would just constantly pick her brain and then just started kind of bringing different ideas to her. And one day she asked me, have you ever thought about getting into management? And I said, I would love to run my own brokerage someday. And she's like, well, why don't you just run mine when my time comes up or something like that. I was like, well, what does that look like? So we started talking and then um, she got acquired by Berkshire Hathaway and they wanted a younger person to kind of be alongside her. Um, and so she offered me a job and that's, so, you know, no management experience whatsoever. And, you know, this is year f- coming up on year six, basically. And, you know, she promoted me to the president of the company last year. And I think and all of it is, I don't ever think I'm the smartest person in the room because I know I'm not, but I do believe I'm the hardest worker in the room and I have a plan of action and I try to execute on it. And I think that's where a lot of college athletes, and I've talked to some guys who graduated from TCU who are getting the, the real world and you know they're kind of all over the place and they want to jump around from career to career. I, I really think if you find something you really enjoy and like, you should go after it and try to build a career doing something for a year and jumping around. I think that makes it really hard and makes you feel like you're failing a lot and jumping ship to try to get that next, you know, get rich scheme type of thing. When it's like, Hey, if you build a career and show that you're a hard worker and longevity, I feel like there's always room to be promoted or to grow within a company. And I mean, that's just personal opinion there. Well, and I I think for the athletes listening to this who are maybe struggling with that career transition, right. And I, and I see it, I see it in some of my best friends who are athletes is, is, Mm -hmm. It dude, success takes time. There is no easy fix, right? This is we got to get out of the micro right. society of I want to nuke it and get it fast, or the fast food society of quick, cheap, and easy, and start thinking about the marathon, not the sprint, right? And if you think about making a swing adjustment, that doesn't happen with one lesson, right? And I'm learning this right. again with golf. Going back to being a rookie is like I play, I I try to hit every day. I moved into a golf course. I work with a lot of college golf teams. I'm hooking up with a professional golfer tomorrow, and I can't even break a hundred, and I can't even hit the ball straight. Why? Because it's hard and you need good right. coaching and you need time on task and you have to stick with it, you know? And I think that's one of the things that when, when guys like when they get to a point where they quit, they might be run one inch away from breaking through that wall that they've been digging through and they just got to stay the course. And Keith, that's one of the things I think has been most impressive about you. And even going back to our time together at TCU or, you know, there's some nagging injuries and things like that. But the one thing that always impressed me about you, man, was that you never doubted your abilities. You know, talk to me about that role that self-confidence has played in your journey. Yeah. I mean, self-confidence, and that's another thing, like, and we've, you know, we kind of, you were talking about my background as we did all this, you know, growing up, I was severely dyslexic. So I hated school and sports was my equalizer. So my self-confidence was extremely low. 
learning to deal with dyslexia and all that thing and all the things that came with it, you know, at a young age and then starting to succeed, I just kind of took it as a way, okay, there's always going to be adversities. And I think early on having those adversities of, you know, basically for people who don't know when you're dyslexic or you have a learning difference, you basically, for lack of a better word, think you're dumb, What you're not, you just don't learn the same as 99% of the classroom. So you've just got to take different ways to make it work for you. And I feel like learning how to do that at a young age, then being successful, going back to the high school, the public high school to play um, baseball, where I was going to a private school for kids with learning differences and being told, hey, if you don't take AP classes or, you know, advanced classes, you'll never go to a, a, a great school, kind of put that chip on my shoulder where it's like, that doesn't matter, you know? And so I always kind of just once I got out of middle school into high school, I just started always believing in myself and, and knowing that if I work hard and, you know, I told my dad in eighth grade, I want to play division one baseball. And he said, okay, well, you're going to have to get put in the work and it's going to take a lot of effort, but if you're willing to work, then let's go for it. And that was just what I always did. And I think that self-confidence of where if you really believe you can do it, it, it can happen. And then it was, okay, I want to get drafted. And then you get drafted. And then it's like, okay, I think looking back on my mindset, I don't really think I ever had the true belief of like, I want to get to the big leagues. I feel like I always just kind of was like, I want to play professional baseball. And I kind of feel like I, you know, kind of sold myself short. And that's looking back on it now of that minor league career. It's like, was I really aspiring to be a big leaguer or was I just trying to get to pro ball? And I feel like that's where I kind of went, went wrong and looking at it now from, you know, that angle of it, like feel like I'm more mentally prepared than ever is where I feel like I went wrong in the professional baseball setting. Well, Keith, knowing what you know now, right? If you could go back and you could talk to the Keith Conlon when he was at TCU or when he was in pro baseball, or you could you could open up the skull cap of any college or professional baseball player and plant the seed that would help them would germinate and help them get to where they want to go, or would have helped you get to where you want to go. What would that seed be? It's talking baseball now. You know, it would be to not sweat the little things. You know, I would get even senior year. And I know if coach Slossinger watches these, he'll laugh because I mean, my still had a temper. I mean, I, I hit 399 my senior year and I was still getting mad when I went two for four or, or three for five because I had a bad at batter. You know, I wasn't perfect. I think if I could go back in that time and say, this doesn't matter. It's the little stuff. Don't sweat the little things and look at the bigger picture. Like, Hey, you're having a phenomenal season your swing is fine. Stop trying to be so perfect and just roll with the punches. I wish I could go back to that 22 year old senior self and just say, just keep doing what you're doing and keep getting better and it'll happen for you. And then just obviously, you know, being mentally stronger at a younger age than I was, I think is the main thing. I mean, I look at these guys who come through TCU now and I'm thinking, could I even play there? now because they've gotten so good but I think a lot of them you know from a mental side they've had success they're all successful because they're going to one of the top programs but I'm sure that's hard for them being a, an all-american in high school to riding the bench like I'm sure that's a tough transition to being the guy in your high school to not playing that first year and you see it in football all these guys come in and they transfer out because they're not getting to play I feel like that's the problem in sports today people don't ever have adversity they go on to the next best thing without 
looking at like, okay, I've got to compete a little bit or I, I have to, you know, put in work. I remember my first practice um, in college at, in division one, I, I got there five minutes before stretch and, you know, was throwing and then we stretched as a team and I was thinking, looking at all these guys were there early and it's like, I had to practice before practice just to be good enough to try and start there. It wasn't high school where you show up and have a practice and hit a little bit after to succeed. Like you had to put in the time. And then at TCU, I never missed an early morning, early BP session. Like my routine was I'm going to get there for early BP every single day and then I'll go to practice and then I'll stay after and do what I need to do. So it's just, you know, looking back, it's just flipping that mindset up to, to literally not caring so much about when thing, little things happen and making it like, as you, we've already talked about spiraling into bigger things. Mm. You know, it's interesting. You talk, you talk about making adversity your advantage and how when things get hard now, guys will use the one transfer rule, you know, and they'll move on to somewhere else. Right. It's going to be easier. And I remember listening to Tom Brady talk one time and he said how when he goes to the University of Michigan, you know, he's 160 pounds or 70 pounds soaking wet as a quarterback. He's the number seven quarterback at Michigan. And he go, I don't think people, people think he had a great college career. I don't think he started a game until he was a senior and he beat out uh, Drew Henson, who was spending his summer minor league baseball, right? With the Yankees. He was a first round pick by the Cowboys and a first round pick, I think by the Yankees. So, you know, Tom Brady talks about how he went into a mental performance coach, a guy named Greg Harden at the university of Michigan, went into his office and was like, I'm thinking about transfer. And Harden was like, look, Tom, do you think it's going to be any easier anywhere else? He said, don't wish it were easier make yourself better. If you can't succeed here, right. whatever makes you think you're going to succeed in the NFL. And Tom was like, Roger that. And he went to work, you know? And I think that's one of the key things that guys need to take is like hard means you're in the right place. If you want to be the best, don't go to TCU, go to a junior college and you'll be the best. But if you want to get better, go somewhere where you're not the best, right? As, as I think Todd Whitting, right. who may have recruited you to TCU, you know, Todd says all the time, I, yeah. want, to be, I want to be the dumbest guy in the room. Because when I'm the dumbest guy in the room, there's only one direction I can go, which is to get smarter and get better. So, you know, right. Keith, let's go back now. So you, you transition into Alibaba and Almond Real Estate. You, you're relatively young to accomplish what you have now in the management role. Did anyone ever like doubt you because of your age? And if they did, like, how did you react to that? Because I know a lot of young coaches or young athletic directors who have coaches that are older than them, sometimes they get a hard time because people doubt them because they're so young and they're so ready. You know, th- these coaches have been around. So did that happen to you at all where people doubted you because of your age? Yeah. I mean, so I won't tell you what Ali Best Almond's age is, but she's, you know, quite a bit older than me and she's got agents who have been with her or been in this business that longer than I've been alive. So when she said, Hey, Keith is kind of my guy and he's going to be running the show, you know, the first kind of few weeks of that and then replacing a guy who was in his seventies, you know, but retired, you know, it kind of became, well, what does this guy know? And so you start having the conversations where you feel like, you know, they're kind of giving you a hard time because you're so young or you've only been doing this, you know, a quarter of the time they have. But I feel like if you know what you're talking about, you go back to the self-confidence and kind of what, you know, as Coach Whitting said, not acting like you're the smartest guy in the room, but always listening. And I've always said, I, if, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out. And so it was, you know, kind of teaming up with the right title attorneys or the right, you know, people just in our industry where I can say, hey, I don't know the answer to this. Can you help me on that? And then going back to that. So I never 
basically was so arrogant where I felt like I knew more than anybody. I was always willing to listen, um, always going to different trainings, you know, went to Chicago three times in the past year for leadership conferences, just anything I could do that I could take back to the, to the team to, to make them better and myself better. And I feel like that's, you know, played dividends in the long run. You know, and one of the things I know that you did is you went through the, the mental performance mastery certification course that I had put together and, you know, congrats on being right, a yeah. coach, you know, how have you used the 10 pillars and what's in the mental performance course, or even going back to things that you learned through the mental game with TCU, how have you used that now in, in your business career? You know, so we, we meet every Monday. It used to be in person with all of our offices. We have three offices and we'd have a, a sales meeting and we'd talk about different things. And just, you know, as it, as it kind of went on and Ali has been doing these meetings for 20 plus years, I could feel them getting stale. So, you know, I took your course and then I read your, you know, your emails or whatever you send out. And I just look at it and I'm just like, well, we'll just change that word and make it into real estate or I'll talk about it. So we just started kind of doing some different trainings on that and just talking about the mental side of real estate and how it's a grind. And, you know, just and I always say this is stuff that we did in the TCU in the TCU baseball and everything else. And we started applying it to real estate and, you know, and they eat it up because it's new to them. But they also see the value in it where you know, they're kind of beating themselves up or, you know, a lady the other day told me she has no business and her business is down in the dumps and she just feels like she should get a new job. Well, our relocation director told us the other day, she turned down a two and a half million dollar referral because she didn't like that neighborhood where they were looking. And literally she called me the next day complaining about how she had no business. I said, well, why'd you turn down that, that referral? And she goes, well, it wasn't a good neighborhood. And I was like, well, are there other neighborhoods you could have maybe helped them find a house in? She goes, well, sure. And I said, so why are you self-sabotaging yourself? And she goes, it's just, I've had a string of bad luck with some deals. And I just feel like this one wasn't going to work out. So this is a person who claims she has no business, had a willing and able buyer who would make her thousands of dollars if she got him across the finish line, who literally just said, no, thank you, because she had so much self-doubt. So now you know, sending her different podcasts and things, trying to get her back on track. And there's some other issues going on in her personal life, but it just made her basically shut down. And this is stuff that if I didn't have in my past, I knew work, I wouldn't have probably known what to say to her or how to help her. But, you know, she's listening to it and she was like, well, that was stupid. She went back and asked, Hey, is that person still around? Well, no, the next person in our office was like, hell, I'll take that in two seconds. And they're you know, already found them something. So she's, you know, that was a tough pill to swallow, but, you know, just trying to kind of kick someone in the butt to say, Hey, what are you doing here? Like, but it's just that self-doubt and, you know, and it's amazing how it can cripple you if you let it eat at you like she did. Mm, man. And I think one of the things to do, like to prevent against getting that self-doubt, right. And, and prevent against the outcome that you don't control in baseball and largely don't control in real estate, letting that outcome dictate your self-worth, letting that outcome dictate how you go about your business versus having a process. And when we're talking about a process, Keith, I want to ask you about the most important things that you feel like you do every day. I know you already mentioned waking up early in the exercise, and then that dovetailed into the routine of exercise, go home, help your wife get the girls ready, have breakfast, and you're out the door and you're at the office. Is there other things that you do that you feel like are critical parts of your daily routine to keep you sharp, keep you positive, keep you present, keep you successful? 
Yeah, I mean, I always feel like, I mean, just I'm in my home office today and I have Mind Gym that sits on my desk. Um, there's another book called Overcoming Tough Times. There's always something there where you're picking up on different quotes and just, you know, with different presentations for the agents, starting it off in that regard. And, you know, we start every meeting with a serenity prayer, you know, controlling what you can control. That's, you know, just, hey, it's Monday morning. And we started doing that uh, in the midst of the pandemic, but it was something like, we should do that every Monday. You know, that's just a great centering yourself and things like that. So it's just finding different ways to kind of keep myself motivated and positive throughout the day. So little self-help books and quotes or anything, you know, when you send your reports out that, you know, the, the 1%, um, what's it called? The, is that right? The, yeah, the 1% intention. The yeah. So like, yeah. yeah. So when you sent that, you were like, you can knock this out quickly. And so I downloaded it on my work computer, my home computer. And then when I get a little downtime, I just knocked that out. And I thought that was great. So just things like that, where you can just continually learn and pick up on something. Cause you never know when you were going to personally need it or someone in your organization is going to need something to kind of keep them going, especially now. I mean, everyone's going through something and we've seen a lot of success this year. We're, we're fortunate that our business has, hasn't been as affected as others, but at the same time, I'll never forget this in March, you know, Ali Beth and I met and she goes, what, what do you think of this pandemic? And I said, well, you know, I think we got to lead with positivity and, and courage and just keep them motivated and, and engaged. And she goes, well, what are your thoughts long-term? And I said, this is going to be our shining moment to get out of this ahead. And we can look back and say, we did things the right way and we're going to lead us out of this. And I was, and I started just doing all this mental training stuff once a week uh, on Mondays. And then we had a check-in every Thursday just to say, Hey, how are you doing? Any questions we can deal. And we're going to hit 2 billion in sales tomorrow. And we've never hit it this early ever. So it's just kind of amazing to see the rewards of that when you can truly have a game plan in place and, and, it, and it happens. So to, to do that before November in the midst of a global pandemic is something I'm extremely proud of. And you should be, you know, that, that, is, that is amazing. And I think when we look at the pandemic, right, suicide rates are up. Alcoholism is right. up. Depression is up. Like it's rocking people's world. And mm-hmm. on the flip side to that, like if we want to call it like PTSD from the from a pandemic, right? Pandemic-induced stress, let's call it. There's also pandemic-induced growth, PTSG. And there's been some positives that have come out of a pandemic, I think, f- for a lot of people that maybe had to, they, they finally got to press pause and reflect on how they were living their life and what they were doing. And there's been some benefit that comes out of this. Um, what are some things maybe Keith from a mindset standpoint or just a routine standpoint, and you've mentioned a lot of them already, but things that you personally have done to, to manage yourself the best you can within this pandemic, because I think it's affecting everybody. And I think when people hear how other people are doing things, other people are doing strategies that people are using to manage this pandemic and manage themselves during it, I think that gives them hope. So is there anything that you've been doing that you would share with our listeners to be like, Hey, you might want to try this during this difficult time. Cause I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, I think, it, you know, early on it was, it, I think it really slowed everyone down and, you know, we, I always felt like you know, leave work and we were trying to go to dinner or, you know, rush off to kids events or, you know, trying to go see friends every single weekend to, 
you know, well, Hey, let's find a babysitter, that type of thing. And, you know, for us, it was, we now cook so much more than we ever did. We always would grill out once a week. And now it's, we always would eat dinner as a family, but it'd be rushing to that restaurant at the end of the workday to go eat. And so I, I feel like it really pulled us back and say, okay, this is, you know, growing up, we were always having home cooked meals. So in that regard, I think that was big for our family just to kind of slow down. And then just kind of going back, you know, the little things that you kind of still sweat on a day to day, it didn't really seem like it mattered. There were bigger issues. And, you know, sometimes if an agent called me with a problem, you could kind of let it bother you. And, you know, when there's a global pandemic going on and, you know, million, like you just alluded to all these people with all these other problems, people losing their jobs and stock markets crashing, it just didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. So I think it really helped kind of a helped me realize what's truly important and what's not, but also it helped our whole entire group say, okay, this is not a big issue. And it, I think it kind of eliminated a lot of drama within the office and other problems. And it just kind of showed you how to, to work a organization, keep it kind of lean and mean and, you know, what you're spending money on. And it, you know, when you know, when your corporate office is telling you to look at your budget and eliminate 15, 20, and then a doomsday scenario, 50%, it kind of shows you what you can and can't live without. And you're thinking, God forbid we ever get to that 50%, but it shows you, okay, we can do things a lot better and not be so complacent. It forced us to be better. And, you know, we look at some of the things that we were doing, like, why were we doing that? And, you know, all of our trainings were in person. Now all our trainings are on Google Meet or Zoom. They're all recorded. We started a video library. And we, our recruiting numbers are way up because everyone's like, we didn't have a formal training program. Well, now we have a formal video library. So someone has a question about that. I, you know, it's there. It's like, Hey, it's all answered in there. It's a quick 15 minute video, go watch it and then come back to me with questions. So I feel like it's made us a lot more efficient just from the technology aspect, but made us more lean and mean and really addressing what's important in the, in the working world. And all, and all the time that, that saves too, right? When you're not having to go to training. Absolutely. All that. I mean, people can work from home. I mean, just just cutting down the transportation time, how much life do you get back, you know? I mean, right. it's so there's there's some advantages there. Keith, my last question for you, because I know, I know that uh, you got to bounce here, man, and I appreciate you taking the time. Last question. I know we, we addressed, what would you go yeah. back and say to the Keith Conlon who was playing college baseball? Question is, what advice, if you're going to remove the skull cap, plant the seed of success and it germinates and grows and the person takes action, what advice or strategy would you give to a young listener who wants to make an impact in the business world like you have? What advice would you give them to kind of get them started and get them going? So they were a former athlete or just anyone in general? I'd say just anyone in general. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I am a huge believer in finding the right mentor and really bouncing ideas off of someone, you know, looking back, you know, my dad was in commercial real estate. So was my brother looking at different opportunities and just getting to talk to someone who has different ideas. But once I got within Allie Beth Thalman, um, I had a mentor who started off, um, who's helped me get started. And her son is Chris Young, who's the 6'10 pitcher, formerly of the Royals, the Padres, and all, you know, all those teams who won a World Series with Kansas City. So she understood his, you know, baseball mindset, talked to her, always bounced ideas off of her. And, you know, it just kind of just was one of those things where 
when you're starting off, you're not sure, is, is that a dumb question or am I crazy to think like this? But when someone who's been in the business and has success and says, hey, you're going down the right path, keep doing what you're doing, and they start recognizing your hard work and kind of see where you are, I think that just kind of gave me more confidence that she saw early on something in me and was like, hey, you, you're you on to the right path here. Just And she even said, keep using that work ethic that you had ingrained with you as an athlete and keep building on it. And so I really do think finding that mentor early on, someone you can trust and bounce ideas off of is, is hugely important. It's awesome. Keith, for our listeners who want to follow you and stay in contact with you, or if they're in the Dallas Fort Worth area or relocating, relocating there, which I've done and a lot of people do, and they're looking for a real estate agent, what's the best way for people to stay in contact with you, Keith, or to follow you? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Twitter? What's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, I'm on the, I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is it's beef B E E F Conlon. That was my nickname from my uh, niece and nephew. So I'm on that. Uh, I'm not a huge social media guy. My email is the best way to get in touch with me or my cell phone. But keep.conlon at alibeth.com. Uh, would love. I love to talk to anyone. I've talked to some TCU guys over the year. Mitchell Traver, who was on four College World Series teams, he's in the area. We connect every couple of months for lunch. So it's been fun to to really talk to these young guys um, and watch their careers grow in the business world and, and take off um, outside of baseball as well. That's exciting. And Mitchell Traver, I got some great memories about that guy. Well, Keith, hopefully, uh, who knows when I'll see you. Oh, maybe it will be sometime in July, sometime in the middle of America, in Omaha, at the College World <laughs> Series. <laughs> make your sixth appearance, and this time they're the last team standing. So, Keith, can't thank you Absolutely. enough for joining us on the Mental Performance Podcast, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.